0: So good to be with you this morning and um, as Gordon said my name is Sheena and um, I uh, come from the center of the universe, Has uh, Anyone heard of Accolade? Yes, yes, followers there. Um, I am wife to Stephen, mummy to Caleb and Lucy um, and I've been working with Love for Life for just under eight years uh, on their schools and community team um, and loving what I'm doing and really excited to be with you here this morning.
1: Uh, Hello, I'm James. I am from the actual center of the world, Lisburn. We've got a swimming pool. Uh, So, yeah, I'm 25, uh, engaged, getting married in November. Very excited. Um, And also work as a skills and community worker for Love for Life.
0: so you probably will have heard something of Love for Life um, on, on your journeys, um, but if you haven't, let me just give you the brief intro. Love for Life is a, a charity that works um, in, uh, mostly in education. Um, we uh, have our vision very much is to inform choice. Uh, we work mostly with young people, um, trying to help them to have a healthy respect for themselves, for others and for sex now that involves a whole range of different activities we work in our by day we are teachers by night we are youth workers and um, we spend our days in schools we work in uh, over 73 percent of the post-primary schools in Northern Ireland um, and we're working in over 28 percent of the primary schools now as well uh, so we deliver um, long uh, sort of an hour and a half long presentations to year groups um, talking about uh, sexual health around relationships and helping to give um, them some really good grinding and foundation so that they can make great choices in the area of relationships we also work then in the community sector um, with youth groups church groups community centers uh, anywhere where there are young people we help in training clergy uh, youth leaders teachers and every everything uh, involved is to try and help us to connect with young people um, and very much to help ourselves uh, to have fantastic and healthy relationships and so um, today's seminar is about uh, about body image uh, is what you will have come to it's life without filters Trying to work out, can we have a life um, that is not covered with filters? So much has been said on this topic. I don't know about you, but I have been in so many seminars as a child and a young person and an adult um, that tell me, you're beautiful. Beauty is on the inside. It doesn't matter if you don't like what you see in the mirror. It's totally fine as long as you're a nice person on the inside. Now, so much of that is absolutely true. But have you ever felt like it's not enough because you still look in the mirror and and feel a little bit disappointed as you're walking away? So while those things are true, there's got to be something more. I truly, as a child, wanted to be beautiful on the inside, but I also kind of wanted to look good as well. How do we marry an awareness of of our internal virtues with the bombardment uh, from the media, from our peers, from our family, or even just from our mirrors telling us a very different story. Do you know, over the years, we find lots of different ways of disguising our appearance, of embellishing how we look, or at least just putting up with it. We can get to a point where we either view ourselves disgusted or we just give up walking away from the mirror. I'm sure you've heard the joke about uh, the wife and her husband um, a little bit older later on in years uh, and the wife's getting ready for bed uh, in their bedroom. She's undressing and she looks in the mirror and she says, look at the state of me. My bum is masked, my boobs are saggy, I look an absolute mess, I'm totally, I'm wrinkles all over. What am I going to do? And the husband looks up from his paper and says, well, dear, there's nothing wrong with your eyesight. (laughs) Now, this may be a familiar story, looking in the mirror and seeing only our flaws. Is this okay? Or does God actually have more for us than that? I think he does. This morning, let me clarify, we don't intend to answer every question or concern or issue around body image. I don't imagine that we're all going to be walking out of here signing up to be supermodels, and that's not the intention. But what we do want to do is uncover a a little bit of the pressure that we find ourselves under in this area. We're going to explore how things have been in the past, looking at what the Bible teaches us about this crucial issue. We've also done some fresh research in this area, so we're going to be giving you a few statistics. um, And then we're going to finish with a bit of a vision for a future that is less dependent on the created self, or indeed selfie, and more focused on our creator. But let's start off with a little bit of fun james
1: um, okay so as dear gracious uh so as uh as sheena was saying what we're going to do is we're going to have a bit of an investigation uh into uh, beauty standards across the ages with a cunningly uh, titled thing crocodile dung and lemon juice it's going to be good fun. Uh, so what we're going to do is, uh, there's going to be various questions. If you want to like talk to the people around you, uh, we're going to have, thank you very much, uh, we're going to have some different questions up. Uh, and these are beauty standards across the ages. Uh, and just have a wee bit of discussion and then we'll unpack it as we go on. So here's our first one. So what did ancient Greeks and Romans use as part of their beauty regime? Uh, was it crocodile dung, swan's fat, uh, bull's hooves, or ashes of snails? I'll give you 10 seconds to discuss with the people around you. Nine, eight, seven... Five, four, three, two, one. Okay, so for those of you who are probably like, it's called crocodile dung, and so it's probably crocodile dung. Uh Uh, No, but uh, it's actually, there are other ones as well. there we go. Uh, so crocodile dung, swan's fat, and ashes of snails. So uh, according to this, uh, a book, an ancient book called The Art of Beauty. Uh, it's translated uh, as the Maca Fasciae Feminae There you go. Just in case you're on Amazon later, Okay. you. Uh, but it's like an ancient Cosmo. It's sort of like what? What do you use? Uh, so the first thing was crocodile dung. Crocodile dung was used used to lighten the skin. Uh, so in ancient time, in ancient times, the more tanned your skin was, uh, the more you were out in the fields and you were working. So they didn't really like that. Uh, so it was used to make your skin paler. So swan's fat was used for wrinkles uh, so if I see any is running after a swan later is trying to kick the out and get the not good uh, and the other thing is ashes of snails uh, so ashes of snails and um, it was used to cure freckles and uh, so again with the whole sunlight being out in the field they didn't like freckles so these were the things that were used and um, as well as that the last two. so the swan's fat and ashes of snails it was uh, a journal uh, of Cleopatra's was found and she actually used these two things uh, to get rid of her, uh, her to get rid of her wrinkles and also to cure her freckles and as well, crocodile dung. This is, uh, this is a fact for the dinner table later. Um, crocodile dung was also used in ancient Egypt as a contraceptive, so uh, just a wee fact for the dinner table later. Uh, on to our next question. Uh, which of these was a sought-after look in ancient China? Was it A, a bald patch, B, uh, split tongue, C, lobless ears, or D, black teeth? Ten seconds. Nine. Eight. Okay, so uh, it was black teeth, Okay, uh, so what happened was uh, how they how they achieved this look was it was called kanemitsu kanemitsu. Uh, so if you go into your dentist later and have we have we chat, on want a kanemitsu, please. Uh, what it was was actually they got iron filings. Uh, they they dissolved them in vinegar and mixed it with tea powder to make it into like a paste. And then they put it on their teeth, and this this made like a sort of uh, like a coating around their teeth. Uh, what it was used for it was it was thought to be a, a sign of beauty and also for matrimonial commitment. Uh, so imagine that uh, being engaged to you and then. Slap this on your teeth, please. Uh, but actually, it was found out, uh, what it does was it actually covered the teeth, uh, and rotten of teeth didn't really happen in ancient China uh, with people who have had this here, because it acted as a really good sealant. Uh, so, again, uh, unfortunately, uh, the practice was outlawed in 1870 uh, in China, so... Unfortunately, if, if you want to go ahead and do that, you can't. It's illegal now, uh, because things had changed and people were being forced to do it, and it wasn't it wasn't a great thing. Uh, On to our next question. Uh, which of these was a must-have look for uh, the women of ancient Greece? Uh, was it A, a unibrow, B, hairy toes, C, hairy armpits, or D, a moustache? Uh, Ten seconds. Nine, eight, seven, Five, four, three, two. and one. Okay, if you went for a unibrow you're correct and so uh, it's sort of interesting beauty standards in greece were very different Uh, a unibrow was was looked at as as a sign of beauty but also intelligence and so I wouldn't mind that there. Uh, so if, if ever you have a sport or anything, it's like, I'm intelligent in ancient Greece. Uh, what's going on there? So why why was this the case? What happened? Uh, well, how was it achieved? The first thing they used was they used like a dark powder, put it uh, in between their, their eyebrows. Then they got tree resin and goat hair and they stuck it on. Uh, why was this the case? Because in ancient Greece, women women's bodies were viewed as distorted versions of men's. Imagine getting away with that today. Uh, but they were viewed as distorted versions of men. So women actually tried to look like men in order uh, to seem wise and things like that. There were uh, there were actually ancient, uh, so the first beauty contest actually came about in Greece and it was the men. Uh, so like everyone stayed about for the men's part and then whenever the women's came on everyone went home because it wasn't like the, the big deal. Uh, so guys loved themselves uh, in ancient Greece. Uh, we'll move on to the next one. Which of these practices were commonplace in the Renaissance era? Was it A. Placing a potato under your armpits to accentuate the smell. Uh, B. Trimming fingernails into a point for self-defense. Uh, C. Uh, filling the ears with grease to encourage a buildup of your ear- wax or d plucking or shaving uh, of the hair to give a receding hairline 10 seconds again Nine, eight, seven six five four three two one okay so for this one uh, it is the plucking or shaving of hair to give a receding hairline and uh, so if ever you've seen like paintings uh, renaissance paintings you'll see uh, that actually at uh, the hairline begins further back again uh, it was it was thought to have been a, a sign of wisdom. Uh, so again, the things people do for wisdom is fantastic. And so that's what they, do. they used to pluck or shave their hair uh, to give them a receding hairline. And um, so if ever you're looking at a, at a painting and you want to impress your friends, if there is a receding hairline, you could be like, oh, very Renaissance, very Renaissance. And you can seem you could seem really intelligent with that. Uh, and our uh, our last question, our last question uh, is this: Women of the 1800s had which of the following? A filed teeth, B uh, trimmed eyelashes, D sort. Or C lard wigs or D pig intestine baths. Ten seconds again. Okay, uh, so there were two for this one. Uh, they were trimmed eyelashes and lard wigs. Okay, so a great time to be alive is the eighteen hundreds. Uh, so with the trimmed eyelashes, what they wanted to do—a sign again of beauty, a beauty standard—was if you had shiny eyelids, that was that was sought after. And um, so what they did was they trimmed their eyelashes and they dabbed their eye. eye uh, eyelids with castor oil to give it like a nice sort of a shine. Um, but the other thing is the lard wigs, and the lard, the lard wigs is, is kind of—it's uh, an interesting one. So the bigger your wig was, the more the more wealth you had, and therefore the most uh, the more attractive you were to other people. Uh, so initially, it, it began as sort of smaller wigs, but as you can see uh, in the picture here, uh, they began to weave like different things into them, like uh, like pieces of, of, of fabric and material and things like this. And um, but in order to keep the height of them and to keep the structure, they put lard on sort of pack it in Uh, but this is where it gets really interesting Uh, so because it was woven into your hair you couldn't take it off it was there for the long term Uh, and as you slept there was a massive rat problem in in London uh, in the 1800s and actually women's wigs were infested with rats Uh, so it became commonplace to sleep uh, with a cage around your hair and to stop the rats getting in. So again like uh, is it really worth it and an honourable mention uh, something we didn't talk about uh, it's another thing Uh, in the Victorian era in the Victorian era they really wanted to, their eyes to sparkle. They wanted to have this like sparkling eye thing. Uh, so they decided the best thing to do was to get fresh lemon juice and to just whack it under the eyeball. Uh, they, some people used oranges as well for that there and that was to give your eyes like a sparkle. So uh, it sort of seems a bit ridiculous like uh, as we talk through this uh, these different things in ancient Greece uh, those like wanting a monobrow and how things change so much. But actually if we take a step back and we have a think about what were the beauty standards and um, imagine there were there were people who were up late at night and they were worrying because their eyelashes were too long, uh, they were worrying because their their eyebrows hadn't filled in properly, that they didn't have that much sought after unibrow And actually the more that we look at it the more that we can see that actually beauty and um, beauty standards standards are very fickle even if you look back like five years pencil eyebrows were in and now it's like hd brows oh yeah i know the term <laughs> and stuff like that there to, to, to fill it out but actually if we look and that's in the short term and so i think at, at the start it's important that we take a step back and we begin to recognize that beauty standards and things like this they're very fickle they do change and but that's not to say that it doesn't and it, it doesn't create a bearing on us and it's hard to escape that pressure and so we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit more about that pressure around beauty standards
0: so where do all those standards come from? I mean, in, in this current age and perhaps in the ages before, um, the media, whatever that looked like, um, has had a lot to say about this issue. Uh, we all uh, can see our magazines, we can see our billboards, um, and certainly if you're online, the world of Instagram, social media, um, it, it exploits this issue like never before. But we want to have a little think about just what, how, what that looks like in our society today. So have a quick look at this. I'm sure little of what you've seen on the screen comes as a, surpri- as a surprise to you. We're, we're well aware of the bombardment of sexualized images in the media, as well as reels of photoshopped and filtered pictures of friends and family filling up our Facebook or Instagram pages. Whether you're 17 or 70, or somewhere in between, we are not immune. The popular pictures app Instagram has recently been found to be the worst for mental health. And it's no wonder when users can't help but compare themselves to perfectly sculpted and set up photographs of ordinary people, of meals or of the average coffee cup. The rise of social media usage has allowed us not only to snoop on celebrities and marvel at how they get their skin that flawless, but also we're now invited into the world and the living rooms of our neighbors and our friends, seemingly ordinary people. So if we can't compete with them, what chance do we really have? Now, it's not all bad news. Apps like Instagram and Snapchat have clever options for adding funny filters, and they actually can be quite a lot of fun, as James and I discovered when we had a little play this week. Um, You can make yourself look uh, like nothing you have ever seen before. Some of the results can be quite terrifying. Um, It's easy to find, you know, uh, to be honest, the struggles in this area, they haven't just come because of the internet. We can't blame Instagram or social media or even magazines, for that matter, on, on these issues. In fact, it's easy to find something or someone to blame. Uh, Throughout history, it's happened about how we feel bad about ourselves. In fact, the first filters actually didn't happen in this generation, they didn't happen with the rise of the internet. The first filters were applied way back in history, as James is gonna tell us.
1: That's right, Uh, so the first first filter or the first case of identity theft um, actually can be traced all the way back to Genesis chapter three. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to begin to expose what are Satan's tactics around the whole area of self-image w- what happens, how does he disrupt, how does he, how does he cause this uh, to be a thing in our lives and so if we can imagine in Genesis chapter 3 we're walking in the cool of the garden and we're walking with Eve and suddenly an unannounced character comes to the fore, it's the serpent um, and the serpent comes up to Eve and, and they begin they begin a bit of a dialogue between each other, they begin to talk um, it's, a bit, it's a bit strange to see that Eve isn't surprised uh, by the serpent so Perhaps he has tried before, because uh, there doesn't seem to be that much of a that much of a, a, that much of a takeback or anything like that, and. Um, the first thing this Satan says, the first thing the serpent says to Eve is, did God really say? And we see, we, we see a confident woman in Eve. We see a confident woman speaking to the serpent and saying, uh, and retorting and going back and saying, no, uh, God God said this. But actually, as we see, as the dialogue goes on, as, as the whole narrative goes through, we actually begin to see that Eve is notably rattled. And by the end, she ends up giving in to what the serpent wants. Um, and again, we have to take a step back and say, what are Satan's tactics? What what does he employ to make this happen? We need to evaluate and see um, what is uh, w- what are his means in this. The first thing he does is he att- attacks the character and the word of God. That's the first thing he does. Did God really say? He attacks God's character and His word, and um, see so he plant plants a, seat, a seed, and um, uh, plants the seed of thought in Eve's mind that God. Uh, God isn't who He says He is. In fact, what He does is we can see here uh, the the role reversal, the identity theft. As He, Satan says that actually Satan wants to, or the serpent wants to liberate, and um, you're not like God, but you could be. And and I have your best intentions. And He paints pic- a picture as God as though God actually wants to limit and and to hold them back. There's the identity uh, the identity switch up that happens. And um, but it, it goes on and and it continues, and the serpent then it goes on and suggests. As I've already said, that Eve and Adam, they're not actually the fullness of what they can be. However, by following his steps, by following what I tell you, I can liberate you, I can make you so much better, I can make you like this. And see, what he does is he manufactures um he manufactures insecurities and then he capitalizes them by going a bit further uh, again we see Eve at the start is very confident she's confident in who he is but actually what he does is he rattles he rattles Eve by setting again that that seed of actually you're not who God says that you are and um, Although it isn't explicitly recorded, we can sort of see or we could uh, use what say, uh, CS. Lewis talks about, uh, our holy imagination in this situation. Um, and we can see that there's a tension in Eve's mind uh, that rests on, on her identity as a child of God. See, if she is actually a child of God, and um, then uh, the privileges and rights that, that she knows are hers, but if she's not, um, then actually she's not, she's not who, who she is, and there's that identity crisis that goes on. See, Satan's goal was simple. All he wanted to do was to destroy the confidence that Adam and Eve, Eve had in their identity as children of the Most High. And um, see, her internal questioning—it led to an identity. Uh, it, 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 her internal questioning of her identity—it led to discomfort uh, and discontent in the present form. And um, Eve wasn't content in, in who she was because Satan got in there and he, he said that you could be so much more. But if we take a step back and we say, if we put ourselves into the garden, like imagine it and the pinnacle of what god says is good creation uh, the earth with no sin in the garden of eden with what god says is good and they walk and they talk w- with god like the more we talk about it the more like excited you are but actually in the midst of that in the midst of that eve becomes discontent that's what i, f- I find really interesting how could eve become discontent in that um why is it? Because Satan is good at what he does. He is good at manufacturing lies. And he is good um, at manufacturing discontent. That's what that's what he does. And um, again, if we go further down uh, to the book of Job. In the book of Job, uh, Satan is called the Satan. And it means the accuser or the teller of lies. And um, that's his identity. He is the father of lies. See, Eve had no want or need, yet she gave in. Because Satan muddied what was sure. Um, He muddied the waters of what was sure. God says, I am this, therefore I am that. And Adam and Eve had had no other reason than to believe that. If God says, I am this, then surely I am, I am that. But actually Satan manages to muddy the waters in this area. So what is the lie? What is the lie that has been consistent from Genesis chapter 3 right up to now? That you're not who God says that you are. That's the lie. And that's the lie that Satan continually tells, that you are not who God and his word says that you are. And there are so many instances, if you look into the Bible, Satan, a, a, a massive or a major tactic of Satan, is to uh, confuse the identity. It's to get under the skin, it's to say, are you really this? Are you? And I'm sure, I'm sure you're used to that, and you felt that yourself, your internal questionings. Why? It's not just you, it's because Satan has been at it from Genesis 3. And to confuse your identity of what was sure. The most brazen and perhaps ridiculous is Matthew chapter 4. Um, it's whenever Jesus is being tempted. And what is the line that Satan says continually? Did God really say? Or are you truly the son of God? Or if you were the son of God, you would? If you were the son of God too. Let, let's take a step back of what has just happened. Jesus has just been baptized and there's been like the Holy Spirit and the figure of a dove has just descended on him. And there's been a voice from on high, the father saying, this is my son and who I am best, please. Like for me, that would be kind of like, OK, that, that's quite obvious that, yes, I am the son of God. But Satan decides to still have a pop, to have a go. And despite all this stuff happening. And the thing is, we need to begin to recognise that that if Satan is willing, if Satan is willing to step into this situation and to question uh, Jesus's position as the Son of God, and if, if he's willing to step into that in, in something that is pretty clear cut to us. And um, how much more is he gonna how much more is he gonna want to step into our situations, to get under the skin of Jesus' hands and feet on this earth? The best way of, of disabling, the best way of, of of stopping the church doing what it should do is actually to make them question their identity. I am not who God says I am. So this is the lie. And in fact, if we look throughout the whole of the Bible, there's an awful lot of verses that tell us and um, actually who we are, and um, ones that we that we're used to. And in fact, if we were to pass the microphone to every single person, we'd probably get a lot of them throughout the Bible. And um, there are so many things that speak about our, our identity and who we actually are and who God says that we are. Um, but do the verses have a bearing on our reality? And um, do they make the 18-inch journey? We know them in our heads, but do they make them to our hearts? And does it make an actual difference in our lives? This is where uh, our statistics come into play. So we surveyed uh, 250 people, and this is along the whole question of does this, uh, does our identity in Christ, it does and um, who God says we are, does it make it... An, uh, does it make a difference to our day-to-day lives? So these are some of our key stats. 88% of people's moods are affected by their appearance. 15% of people said that their moods are always uh, affected by their appearance. Again, and if you see in in a media-saturated culture where where image is is the thing, it's easy to see why that's the case. Uh, 79% uh, take measures to lose weight. 18% always use measures. 46% 46% uh, of people aren't confident in their appearance. 39% are. 15% don't know. That's 46%. And if you, actually, if you marry that with the 15%, uh, you could roughly have about 60% of people uh, aren't confident in their appearance. Uh, 26% of folks aren't happy in their own skin. But we'll begin to unpack that a little bit further. It's the unhappy in their own skin uh, that that we want to look at a a little bit more in terms of age groups. And what's really interesting is actually 18 to 24, uh, 66% of our respondents weren't happy uh, in their own skin. The next was actually 40 to 54, um, which we we found was quite quite interesting. Um, But again, if if you think about the whole saturation of, of of the whole the, the highest demographic that has grown on social media is the 40 to 54 so they're playing catch-up and they're seeing these different things that the 18 and 24 year olds are seeing as well in terms of being unhappy in their own skin and um, again we'll look at what what, what is the main uh, what are the main causes behind this. the ma- major contributing factors uh, for those that were unhappy in their own skin were Instagram Facebook and social media 81 percent of people who were unhappy in their own skin uh, said that, that that was the main thing that that uh, that influenced how they look uh, the other one not confident in their appearance was Instagram Facebook and social media and as uh, as Sheena was saying actually if, if you're consistently looking uh, at Instagram where, where people are putting up the, their best sales and it's sort of ridiculous sometimes we know that this isn't this isn't real life but we can't help there's something inherent in us where we feel as though we have to compare um, and what we do whenever we compare is we always look at ourselves in a negative light it's rare that we were ever, ever compare ourselves to something and be like oh I'm quite good and because our natural our natural response is actually to look at others as better than ourselves. And if this is what our major influence is, and then you can sort of see why this is, this is creating a, cr- a great discontent uh, in our own skin and with our appearance. Um, The last one, this this is the interesting one for us, and this is the one that we wanted to get to. Uh, Is faith playing a role in how we view ourselves? What role is faith having? Uh, And we found that actually, for aren't happy in their own skin, 22% of people who responded uh, were strongly committed Christians. Uh, 42 were nominal, 23 uh, made no commitment. Uh, the next one in the in the not happy in their appearance, forty one percent were strongly committed uh, Christians, fifty nine percent were nominal, uh, and forty eight percent were no commitment. And and we can sort of look at that, and we can sort of say that actually, okay, that that's fine because the ones with ones with w- we're doing slightly better, um, and <laughs> we're doing slightly better than ones with no commitment or anything. But actually, if we look at that top one, there's one percent of a difference. If you look at at, at the wealth of of what is in God's word, about how how we are created. If if you look from Genesis chapter 2, we're created in God's image. If you look all the way up to Ephesians chapter 4, it says that we are God's masterpiece in the NLT. If you look throughout, there's so many things that affirm our identity and who we actually are, yet it makes 1% of a difference. See, there seems to be a massive uh, discord between who we say we are, who the Bible says we are, and actually our confidence in ourselves in this whole different area. And so the reality is that actually, uh, although we have this wealth of of things behind us, that the creator of the universe wants to know us, he wants to have a relationship with us, that he speaks life over our identity, he speaks positivity over who we are. um, And it's kind of incredible whenever we, we take a step back and we say, well, actually, we're created in the image of the creator of the universe, and he wants to have a relationship with us. Um, But actually, it doesn't make that much of a bearing. Uh, So it begs the question, how do we change that? How do we move beyond the lie, the lie that we are not who God says that we are? How do we move further on that? Um, And and how do we begin to press into the things that God has for us in terms of our identity?
0: Absolutely. And I think um, in this area, we have to start thinking about what what a filter actually do okay so for those of you who aren't um, completely familiar with the world of Instagram and um, you can put a filter on you saw from some of the pictures that we showed you and um, you can make yourself uh, look fabulous you can make yourself look like a dog or like a flower girl you can do any of these things sometimes it's it's great crack and it's wonderful and um, other times though uh, it's interesting a friend of mine and um, was showing me pictures of, of her at a wedding uh, recently and um, she said that she didn't like the wrinkles uh, on, on her dress the way they fell on her waist so she just uh, photoshopped them out before she put it up on Instagram um, and, and I was taken aback because I thought gosh is, is that what we've come to that that we're not necessarily happy enough with our own reflection our own appearance and um, that we can't just put a, a normal picture of ourselves online and yet increasingly uh, particularly amongst younger people this is the trend that is taking place but when we're talking about filters, we're not necessarily just talking about body image. We're not talking about what we do whenever, what the, pic- the things that we put on top of a photograph. Actually, there's no end to the filters that we place on our lives. Think about it. Success, career, the success of your children, of your grandchildren, uh, your status in life, uh, how popular or loved we are, how great our lives are. So much, uh, if you're online, uh, the messages that we give, we consider those carefully before putting them onto a public audience. We think about how is this going to come across to the people around us. Even in our conversations, we've become so used to choosing how to present ourselves. It's very clever. We very cleverly craft our message and our representation of ourselves. And so, have a think about it what about that that conversation whenever you've been here at new horizon you've bumped into someone uh, you, you've never met them before how does the conversation go normally something like this hello n- nice to meet you what, what's your name okay yeah i'm such and such oh and what do you do automatically putting ourselves and others into a box. We try and work each other out, try and say, okay, how successful are you? Where do you come from? Let me place you, let me work out your background. Perhaps it's around what church background a person has, whether they have a church background at all, uh, do they have family? Um, imagine though the pressure that that puts on ourselves uh, to, to be performing, to be employed, Um, If you are married to have children or to have grandchildren, there's a huge pressure here. In our conversations, we've become so used to choosing how to present ourselves, how to craft our message, whether offline or online, that we now exist in a reality where we're not quite sure what reality is anymore. And so the problem is, while we put ourselves into boxes and try and fit each other into these boxes, identity is too huge to fit into any box. We feel more comfortable with our labels and our filters, with anything that helps us understand the people around us and make our lives look maybe just that little bit better. I've heard it said that there are four ways of looking at ourselves. Who you think you are, who you think others think you are, who others actually think you are, and who God thinks you are. I'll run through those again. So who you think you are yourself, who you think others think you are, who others actually think you are, and who God thinks you are. Too often, I suggest, we have tried to fix body image issues by bigging ourselves up and focusing on the parts of us that we like or comforting ourselves that true beauty is, is really on the inside. Somehow though, this is never enough. I wonder if it's time to change the filter, to lift our eyes off of ourselves and onto the creator who designed us in his image. Whatever you magnify, you amplify. So in other words, whatever we focus on, give our attention to, we increase, we make bigger. So take this for an example. If you decide to give up chocolate for Lent and you keep on thinking about chocolate and how much you'd love some chocolate right now, wouldn't it be amazing, do you remember that Cadbury bar I had before I did this stupid Lent thing? And you start to obsess over the chocolate that you're missing out on. That only makes things worse. Do you know, it's much better in that situation to find new tasty treats, have a big pack of nuts or a lovely pack of crisps. There can be new things that we can put our attention on to take it away from the thing that we're missing. And so if we mainly think about ourselves, our appearance and our image and what others think of us, then that will start to form the thought patterns that are hard to shift. Imagine if we could train ourselves every time we entertain a negative thought, to think instead of how God sees us. It was King David's deepest desire to be close to God and to know his heart. And we read that in Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. I find the three verbs in David's request really interesting and I think they're worth unpacking. So these three dwell in the house of the Lord, gaze on his beauty and seek him in his temple. So let's take the first one. How do we dwell in the house of the Lord? Well, where are you spending your time? Where are you dwelling? Church, work, family, which friends are you spending your time with? internet, online, social media, plenty of time with God or is he squeezed to the side in our busy schedules? If being online for a large amount of time in your day is actually feeding your negative body image or feelings of negativity about your life, perhaps it's time to, dare I say it, unplug for a while and add some boundaries to your online world. If you're surrounded by people for whom status and success or image is everything, and you feel like you're constantly drawn into a competition with them, it may be worth reducing the amount of time that you spend with those people, if that's an option. I think sometimes when we consider dwelling, we, we think, oh, that would mean hours of silent prayer and, and having three-hour-long quiet times and reading the word back to front and inside out. Uh, fair play to you if you have time to do that. That would be fantastic. And that would be the very best advice we could give you. But I don't think dwelling in this is necessarily just about that. I think that we need that time, we need that alone time with God. But who's to say that that time with God can't be spent throughout the day as well, in addition? The moments that we snatch waiting for the kettle to boil, the moments whenever our children aren't racing around us demanding things from us, uh, in the bathroom time whenever you're having your shower, waiting for a bus, uh, whatever it might be, there are moments in our lives that we can snatch, that we can remind ourselves that we are God's that we are made in his image and that in that we can actually dwell in the house of the Lord because let's face it the earth is the Lord's and everything in it there is nowhere you can go that God is not there is nowhere that his love will not find you and seek you out and there is nowhere and no version of reality in which you are not made in God's image And so dwelling in the house of the Lord, like David so wanted to do, could be the first step for us in finding a new contentment with ourselves. Secondly, then, he wanted to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. This reminds me of how a person feels when they first fall in love or when they're looking at the face of their newborn baby for the first time. They can't help but gaze at the object of their affection. The world could crumble around them they wouldn't even notice. Time stops as they take in every detail of the one they love. Who or what then gets the privilege of your gaze? What are you looking at? What are you focusing on? For many of us, if we're honest, our phones have taken that treasured place. We jump to attention when it beeps uh, like a dog to its master. We check a message. We have maybe a sense of FOMO. Anyone heard that phrase? Yeah, a bit of fear of missing out. FOMO, so we must engage in social media where possible, even if it's just to stalk our friends. But do we fill our minds with our Instagram and our Facebook feeds? Or maybe for you, it's not about the online world. Maybe magazines and mirrors are all you need to make yourself feel bad. Imagine shifting our gaze off of ourselves for long enough that we can actually remember that Father God is there and that he loves us. Is God worth gazing at? Yes, absolutely. It's in him that we truly find who we are. You see, that's what Eve and Adam missed out on in the garden They drew their attention to themselves. They were tempted away. They forgot that they had perfection, that they had it all in the garden. You see, before our hearts even started to beat, God wanted us to exist. He knew that we were going to be here. He knew our flaws. He knew our freckles, our spots, our body image issues. He knew all about our shapes and our curves, all about our worlds and and our success or lack of it. He knew it all. He knew what was going to happen from the very beginning and he loved us still. We do not need the mirror or our Instagram feed to tell us how beautiful we are. The difficulty perhaps in this is not actually how we view ourselves. It's how we view God let me remind you and remind me that he has loved us with an everlasting love god doesn't make mistakes and he thinks you are awesome if you begin to see him for who he is generous and kind and bubbling with laughter and love for you then maybe we start to see ourselves through his eyes can i tell you some good news today god is in a good mood He is in a good mood. He is not raging. He is not angry. He is happy with you. He delights in you and with me. You don't have to convince him that you're worth loving because he already knows. And so finally, the the third thing that David wants to do is he wanted to seek God in his temple. What are you seeking? What are you looking for or longing for? The perfect body, attention from others, to feel the companionship of relationship, to, to know that you're loved, all of those are not bad in themselves. But we read in Matthew six thirty three, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What are all these things? Well it's everything we need to survive. Food, drink, clothes are the ones that are mentioned in Matthew but the list is not exhaustive. If you need it, God has it for you in abundance. In John 10, we read how Jesus declares that he has come to bring life to the full abundance. God is in a good mood. When we seek him, when we follow his direction, the gazing at his beauty becomes a wonderful habit in a revolutionized lifestyle. Have you ever noticed how beautiful someone looks when they're truly content and happy? or how beautiful an old lady looks when she has lived an amazing life of pouring herself out and serving the people around her and her family. This beauty can't be bought, it can't be filtered or created with many hours of makeup or hours at the gym. As we seek God again and again and again in his temple, we start to forget the worries and the concerns that filled our minds before. And instead we are transfixed on his beauty and led towards a brighter future. I guess the question uh, that that we wanna um, lead to as as we come into close is, who are you asking today if you are beautiful or if you're worth something? If you search for affirmation and for praise from people, however that might be, online, offline, it doesn't matter. You will always be left disappointed. No, the only answer that's worth listening to is found as we dwell in the house of the Lord, as we gaze on his beauty and as we seek God in his temple.
1: Uh, So I I guess with all of these things and what I've found from seminars is, uh, and even from weeks like New Horizon and and being away at these things, um, is that There's so much good stuff, and our intentions are are, are really good. But I think there's significance in the fact that these are verbs. Uh, Dwell, gaze, and seek. They are verbs. They're a call to action. And so what I'd like us to do is for five minutes is – because very, very quickly – your thoughts are fleeting, you, you go away, you think about lunch and stuff like that, but for five minutes, um, if you can, discuss with someone around you, or write down, what am I going to do about this, uh, what am I, what how am I going to dwell, what am I going to look at, what am I ge- going to gaze, what am I going to seek, and this can be your call to action, because for, for too often, I'm sure if, if you're anything like me, I have these incredible intentions, but then um, I sort of forget them, and then I sort of remember them, and so wh- what I want us to do is, uh, we're going fire on, to fire on some music for about five minutes or so, um, and just have have a conversation with yourself or someone around you and, and just sort of write down, what, what am I going to do about this? What's the one thing that stood out to me? Write it down, uh, pray into it and, and it's a bit of a call to action. What, what are we going to do off the back of, uh, of this whole area? And um, After that, um, you're more than welcome. Uh, Shane and I are going to be out at the Love for Life Love for Life Stan, Um out there. So we are more than happy if you have any questions or anything like that. Um, but off, off the back, off that there, if you, if you would like prayer, we have, where's Rachel? Yeah, there's Rachel there. Um, so if, if there's any prayer off the back, we know that th- th- this stuff is not easy. Uh, and I think I just want to echo what Sheena said at the start. We are not here to wave a magic wand. Um, it, th- th- these things, the whole area of self-image and things like that there, um, they take time. Um, and, and i think so, so often we're told a lie of, uh, in, in the postmodern society of like everything's like a microwave like it just goes away straight away and um, we're not here to, to wave a magic wand and, and automatically you feel incredible straight away it's important that you recognize and give yourself a realistic actually this takes time this stuff takes time but it also requires action uh, and things like that there so if there's anything off the back of that there take five minutes write down what you're going to do about it and then if you would like prayer please please come up to us have a chat with us and things like that and then i'll close it in prayer and um, so i'll there we go.
0: OK, hopefully that was helpful to have just a little bit of time uh, to consider what we've been talking about. Uh, we do encourage you, um, don't don't go away. If uh, something we've talked about today has struck a chord with you. Obviously, we've very much just uh, skimmed the very top uh, of the iceberg, so to speak. Um, but we do recognize that, that these are issues that affect many of us. And so um, do make use of of Rachel, who will be here uh, to pray with you and to chat with you if you have anything you want to talk through. Come and chat to us at the front. We'd love to meet you um, and have a chat with you and also be aware that um, these issues we we address as love for life um, on a very regular basis uh, with young people particularly so if you're part of a church or you have a youth group and that you feel could benefit do come and chat to us and we'd love to arrange that we could come and talk to your young people around these issues or anything to do with relationships or choices when it comes to to relationships and and to sex Um, we hope that this has been helpful for you this morning thank you for taking the time out to come Um, and um, let me just pray for a as we finish Father God I am so glad uh, to know that you're good and that you're in a good mood God we we thank you for making us in your image we thank you for making us masterpieces in your creation God we pray that you would lift our eyes from ourselves from our failings uh, from our flaws and lift them onto you God you are our creator, you are perfect and we want to gaze at you, we want to seek you, we want to dwell in your house. Father help us to see ourselves the way that you see us. Help us to think less about ourselves and more about you and about others so that we could start to, to see things the way that you see them. It's hard sometimes, God, so please would you encourage us, would you help us, and where we need to take action uh, in in what we're gazing at, what we're dwelling in, or what we're seeking, God, we pray you give us courage to do that, and thank you that your love uh, stretches as far as the east is from the west. We love you, God, thank you, and bless the rest of our day, we pray. Amen.